Well, I don't know how many of y'all um, have seen the movie Blindside and the couple in that movie, Sean and Lee and Tui, were the couple who uh, encouraged this young man and actually um, brought him into their home and he was able to become a professional football player. But they also wrote a book called In a Heartbeat and they talk about a little known congressional program that awards um, internships to young people who have aged out of the foster program. And basically, these kids uh, were in the foster program through their most of their um, uh, child life, and then they have uh, never got adopted, and so they've aged out. And so these kids have this opportunity to, to take advantage of this internship program. And they talk about a senator that they met employed a certain young man in this internship program. And one morning, the, the senator was coming into the office, and he noticed his intern was already there early. And he noticed as he went into the uh, mail room that this guy had been in there, and he had reorganized the whole mail room. And the senator was just like, wow, did you do this? This is unbelievable. This place has never looked this good. You did such a great job. And a few minutes later, the senator looked over, and he thought he heard somebody crying, and the, the young man was crying. He said, son, are you okay? And he says, yes. And he said, did I say something to offend you? And he said, no. And he said, well, well, what's wrong? And he says, that's the first time in my life anyone's told me that I did something good. Does that not blow you all away? That you could go through your whole childhood and never have anybody tell you that you did something good. But it touched him, and it's a, a reminder of how important that encouragement can be in all of our lives to not only receive it, but also to give it. And maybe you've experienced a time in your life where you weren't expecting it, but somebody in your life gave you some encouragement at a time and a place and a point in your life where you were discouraged and that person encouraged you and you look back on that and you go, I still remember that day. I still remember the words they said or the card they sent me or the text or the phone call or whatever it was, but I remember that because I needed to hear that. Or maybe you've experienced a time where you thought you were just giving somebody an attaboy or an girl. But you realize later that that person came back and said, you have no idea what that note, what that text, those words that you said, you have no idea what that meant to me. It encouraged me in a time where I really needed it. And when you hear those kind of things, you realize how powerful encouragement can be. Now, I receive a lot of emails every week, not necessarily um, dealing with the church, but I do get uh, from time to time emails from people. And I got some last week. Some weren't so great. But the one that I remember over all those others, is this. Somebody uh, sent, uh, shared about how inspired and encouraged they were by Daniel and Kennard, who were up here last week, father and son, doing our, during our communion time, playing the saxophone and the piano together. And I didn't pick up some of this, but this person went into detail how just to watch a father encourage his son during that time was just so inspiring. And so I don't know their names, I don't have their emails, but could you pass that on? So I was encouraged to hear that, and then I passed it on to them, and they were encouraged, and I passed it on to our whole um, praise team up here. And the ripples of that email went out a lot this week, I want y'all to know, because encouraging someone makes a big difference. So that's our topic today, and if you've been here or if you've not, we've been going through a series through the book of Acts and looking at what I call conversion factors that happened in the book of Acts, the different factors that had to happen to convert people to become followers of Jesus Christ, and we've looked at a lot of different uh, factors, and last week we saw 
how God supernaturally connected Peter and Cornelius through a vision and through an angel and brought them together. And after years of all those Jewish traditions and Jewish laws, Peter really thought in his mind that the gospel of Christ is only for Jewish people. But God taught him. He said that. God has taught me as he went to Cornelius' house that it's not just for us. It's obviously for the whole world, for Gentiles. And so Peter and his companions, as we read about experience and saw firsthand, not only the desire of the Gentiles to know Christ, but also the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that came upon Cornelius and his family and friends that were gathered that day. And this was a huge revelation for not only those um, uh, who believed that for so long because of the Jewish traditions, but others said, wow, the grace of God, Jesus' power and the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for the Jews. And, and Jesus had been talking about this. You're going to start in Jerusalem, but you're going to go from there to Judea and then into Samaria and into all the world. And we're seeing this as we read about that first century church spreading. That's exactly how it happened, exactly how Jesus said it would. And so we see the expansion of Christ's church was well underway. So today the conversion factor I want us to talk about is obviously, I've already said it, encouragement. And the one man we read about in several places in the book of Acts is Barnabas. And he made encouragement a huge factor in bringing people to Christ and also within the relationships he had within the leadership in the church. So we're first introduced to Barnabas in chapter 4 of Acts. And we're going to read just a little bit of that. And it says this from chapter 4, there it is, in Acts. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now that's where we first hear about Barnabas in the New Testament. And notice that the writer Luke emphasizes that the apostles called him not Joseph, but they called him Barnabas, which is what his name meant, son of of encouragement, but as we will see, it was more than just the meaning of his name. It was a lifestyle for him. It was how he lived his life. He was really an encourager. And so in our main text today, we're going to read about the growth and expansion of the church and how Barnabas and his gift of encouragement was a key factor in that growth of the church. And not just among the people that were hearing it for the first time, but also among the leadership, his encouragement went on to them as well. So we're going to read Acts chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 19 and read through 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now this text, we can see how Barnabas was certainly an encourager. When the news of more Gentiles converting and became followers of Christ reached the elders and the leadership there in the church in Jerusalem, 
They said, we want somebody to go and check this out. We want somebody to go and report and see what's going on there. Now, we mentioned, and you, you probably recognize, mentioned in the first part of this text, is that Stephen had been stoned. He was the first martyr in the church, and the church scattered after this. They're like, wait a minute, they're going to start persecuting people that believe in Jesus? we got to get out of here, and it started scattering. But as a result, even though that was an awful thing that, that Stephen had to be killed, or that he was killed, but the church scattered, and as a result, people are hearing about Jesus because of that scattering. So that's how this is all taken about. So anyway, they picked somebody to go, and I don't think it's any accident that they picked Barnabas to go. You don't want somebody that's very legalistic. You don't want somebody that's very closed-minded. You don't want somebody that has an attitude toward Gentiles to go and check out what's happening. You need somebody that is an encourager. So I believe they handpicked Barnabas to go. And so he went, and from that experience, from what they had seen, he's the guy that needs to go that can encourage these new people. And it says, when he arrived and saw the grace of God and what it had done, he was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to, to the Lord with all their hearts. So he said, go in there, tell us what the report is, but we know you're going to encourage those folks too to stay true to the Lord with all their hearts. And then the text tells us further, and this is interesting to me, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. That's good news. That's great. But then, in the midst of being among these people and encouraging them, Barnabas recognizes something. I need some help. There's a lot of people that need uh, discipling here, and I can't do it on my own. So it says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, they teach these people. So what he realizes is, this is bigger than me. Yes, it's successful. Obviously, the Lord's working here. People are coming to Christ, but they need to be discipled. They need to be encouraged. And I know somebody that's a great teacher, and his name is Saul, but he's not here. He's in Tarsus. I'm going to go get him, and I'm going to get him here because they've got some questions. They have some things, and he is a great deep thinker. He is a great teacher, and I need him here with me. So he goes and finds him. And this had to be a great encouragement to Saul. That he's going, you need me to come? Yes, I need you to come. You're a great teacher. And we'll talk a little bit more about that relationship and how it was formed. But you notice at the end of this, it says the Chris, uh, they were first called Christians, the followers of Christ, called Christians in Antioch. Now, we don't know exactly why that came about. Was it some other Christians decided we're going to start calling ourselves Christians? Or it was some, somebody else that goes, it's those Christ followers, those Christians. But they noticed there was something different. These people were Gentiles. They were pagans before. But now they are followers of this Jesus Christ. And so they started calling them Christians. It was making an impact in the area. So talking about Saul and being encouraged... How this relationship starts, I want to go back in Acts to chapter 9, verses 26 and 28. And this is right after Paul's conversion, if you remember. He was going from house to house. He was a Jew of all Jews, and he's arresting people and saying, we're not going to have this, y'all are blasphemers, and this Jesus isn't who he says he is, and all this stuff. He's going house to house, arresting people. He held the coats of those who actually stoned Stephen, but then he has this dramatic supernatural conversion experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus calls him by name and he goes, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. It's personal with Jesus and now he knows who Saul is and he calls him out and he has this dramatic um, conversion. So in Acts 9, 
It says in verse 26, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples after his conversion. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. No one trusted him. He's just trying to infiltrate our ranks. That's what he's doing. He's been persecuting the church. He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. Why would we want this guy to be a part of us? But Barnabas, verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So you see, Barnabas wasn't just the name, his name meant encourager. He was encouraging. He goes, wait a minute. This guy really had a conversion experience. I heard his story. Have y'all heard his story about what happened on the way to Damascus where Jesus literally called him out? He's telling the story, and since then, he's been a changed person. He is not the same person. I'm telling y'all, y'all need to know. So he puts his arm around Saul, and he literally walks with him to the leaders in Jerusalem and go, you need to hear his story. You need to hear that Christ has called him. There's something bigger than just here in Jerusalem, and this guy's going to be the guy that's going to go out to the Gentiles. And so because of what Barnabas did, he stepped in. Through this encouragement, Saul was accepted by the others. Now, I want us to also look at one more uh, text in showing um, Barnabas and his encouragement. So we're going to move to chapter 15. And sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now notice what happened here with Paul and Barnabas. They're saying, great idea. Let's go back and visit these churches we've started. Let's see how they're doing. Let's encourage them. Let's see how they're maturing. That's a great idea. And then Barnabas goes, well, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul's going, no, we're not taking John Mark. He left us. In that first missionary journey, he quit. I mean, that's what it said. Luke says they, he deserted them. We don't know why, but at some point he got scared. He got frustrated. He lost courage, and he left. And now, all of a sudden... Barnabas wants to take him on this next missionary journey. And Paul goes, no, we're not taking that guy. He's a quitter. I can't have him quit on us again. We're not going to do that. And it says they had a sharp disagreement. So sharp, in fact, that they parted ways. Because Barnabas is going, wait a minute. Why can't we give this guy a chance? Now, notice that sometimes encouragement can even come from a sharp disagreement. And it doesn't say in God's word there, does it say that Paul was right? And Barnabas was wrong, or Barnabas was right, and Paul's wrong. It doesn't say anybody was wrong. It just said they had a sharp disagreement, and they finally agreed to disagree, and they took somebody else and went their separate ways. They were still evangelizing. They were still doing God's work. But I have to believe, during that sharp disagreement, that Barnabas is a little disappointed in Paul, and he had to say something like this. Seriously. Seriously, Paul, do you remember how people reacted to you in Jerusalem, when you had your conversion experience, and nobody wanted to be around you, nobody, everybody was scared of you, and who stepped up and gave you a second chance? That would be me, and I'm trying to do this for Mark, and you're not going to give him a second chance? I bet it was something like that. So I say all that to say this. 
Sometimes in our lives, encouragement is not all rainbows and unicorns, is it? And fluffy language. Oh, you did a great job. Way to go. You're so wonderful. And that's good. Some people need that. But sometimes people need to be held accountable, don't they? And that can be a form of encouragement. And that's when we really love somebody and we have to use tough love and say, Brother, I love you, but because I love you, I'm telling you this. What you're doing is not right. What you're doing needs to change. Those kind of things. That can be a form of encouragement. But I believe Barnabas had to get in there. Now, what we do know, the good news about the story is, is that Mark was encouraged. The courage that he lost. And we understand the word encouragement means... I need to be empowered, infused with courage because I don't have it. I've given up courage in whatever it is I'm doing or saying or whatever in my life because I've just been beat down and I need to be recouraged, encouraged because I don't have any courage to go on anymore. For a minute there, I thought about the, um, uh, I thought about the, the movie The Wizard of Oz. Courage! Anybody think about that? Sorry, I just came to my mind. Courage! I need courage! But anyway... Some of y'all have never seen that movie going, what's wrong with that guy? But anyway. <laughs> but what would have happened if Barnabas had not stepped in and encouraged Mark in this way, but also encouraged Paul that he, would, he, you know, he should give this guy a second chance? Because we realize what happened. Mark did become mature. Mark did become somebody that could be trusted. He matured because of the encouragement of Barnabas. And we have all read his book, probably, The Gospel of Mark. Do y'all realize this is the same young man? And they also believe in Mark when it talks about when the soldiers came that night to arrest Jesus, that one man got grabbed and he let him take his clothes off and ran off naked. Mark was talking about himself. We really believe in that. So he ran off then, and he ran off in the first missionary journey. He was kind of a quitter, but because of encouragement, he came to write the gospel. And I'll be honest with y'all, the first gospel I tell people to read is Mark because it's the shortest, and it's fast-moving, and I encourage people to read. But what if Barnabas had not encouraged John Mark? We may only have three gospels. I don't know. But he did, and look where he is. And later, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy in his second letter, says, please bring Mark. He has been such an encouragement to my ministry. So we know that they did come back together again because of the encouragement of Barnabas. Now, I'll give you an example of something that kind of, uh, uh, that tough love sometimes encouragement. So for uh, a, a few years over here at Northgate High School, I had the opportunity to pull chains at the football games. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the, the down markers with a group of guys. A lot of fun, enjoyed it. Now, we're always on the visitor side, so we get to see every home game a different set of coaches and a different set of players and all the colorful language that goes on during the football game, all right? So in this one particular game, there was a guy from Northgate that came in, and I hadn't seen him play a whole lot. And he wasn't one of their best athletes that I could tell, but he was in playing receiver. And there was a play run, and this guy caught the pass, and he ran for a touchdown. I was like, wow, you know, I didn't expect that guy. Well, all of a sudden, the, the defensive back that was supposed to be covering blew an assignment or something, and he comes over to the bench, and I get to hear full throttle in very colorful language, this coach just light into him. And, y'all, he is using I'm like, I can't believe he's allowed to cuss a kid out like that. I cannot believe he can use this kind of language. And I'm going, I would never talk to a kid like that. I would never talk to anybody like that, especially one of my players. He's got to be so discouraged. Well, about two or three uh, play sequences, or I should say uh, series later, 
this same kid, I remember the coach went over and goes, you better not mess this up. He didn't say mess this up, okay? He said some other colorful language. And I was going, seriously? You think that's encouraging that kid? Well, this kid goes the same, almost the same play again. This guy steps in front of the kid, intercepts the pass, runs it back for a pick six, and they win the game. Well, obviously he did something to encourage that guy. Now, somebody in the first service goes, that wasn't encouragement, that was motivation, okay? And I'm like, well, whatever it was. But my point is this, after the game, I could see that the coach and the, you know, he was slapping him on the helmet, and I don't know what he was saying, but my point was he needed to be woken up, right? And sometimes with the people that we have, now, I didn't have a relationship with that kid, so I can't say that to him, but this coach had been through all these practices, spring practice, getting ready for the season and all these games, so he had relationship with his kid. He could encourage him that way, and it seemed to work. But my point is, is sometimes in life, John Ortberg says that the church has a terminal case of niceness. You know what he's talking about, don't you? Everybody went, "Mm mm-hmm, just then, you know what I'm talking about. We do. Oh, I don't want to say anything and mess up, but sometimes we have to tell somebody that we love, hey, you're not really being a follower of Jesus. Hey, that's not really encouraging somebody. Hey, you need to do better about being a husband. Hey, you need to be doing better about being a parent, about being a servant. And sometimes those are hard things to hear, but it can encourage us. Have you ever had that happen? Somebody really kind of light into you like that, and you're mad at them at first and you hate them, but later you go back and say, thank you, that was a defining moment in my life because you took the point to say that to me. So maybe that sharp disagreement served an encouragement. Um, uh, Pastor Rod Cooper talks about things that encouragers do, and I, and I took this from him, but this is what he says, and there's five things, and they're not real long, so don't, oh man, seriously, five things? Um, but he says this, encouragers do this, freely share their resources. Anything they have, they say, hey, you can have it. It's my, what's mine is yours. They encourage. And who did that? Barnabas in chapter 4. I have a piece of land. I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to give it to the church. He was free in sharing his reason. Number two, they accept you. Encouragers accept you where you are. That's exactly what he did with Saul. He had been this thing, but now he's something new. He accepted him right where he was. Same thing with John Mark. We read about that. Also, encouragers get excited about others' progress. We read about that in our main text in in Acts 11. When he heard about the Gentiles and Antioch that were coming to Christ, he was excited about that, that they were making progress. Um, Number four, encouragers meet the need at hand. What's going on here? We need somebody to help teach these folks. So he went to Tarsus and got Saul. He met that need. There's more people that need to be taught. I can't do it on my own. He met the need. Give others a second chance. And he did this throughout his life. So encouragers do those things. Freely share their resources. Accept you where you are. Get excited about others' progress. Meet the need at hand and give others a second chance. That's what encouragers do. That's what we need. Well, speaking of John Ortberg, who gave us that great line, we have a terminal case of niceness, he wrote a sermon years ago about encouragement, and he said the people that are encouragers is what he called balcony people. They sit up in the balcony, and they go, let's do it, come on, you can do it, and they encourage you. And then there's basement people who are in the basement and always want to say something discouraged, something negative about the situation, and he says, you need balcony people in your life. And, and I know in the first service, I got to hear... Garrett talk about specifically this church and how they encouraged him as a young man. And this church did that to me too. I was a very shy kid and I remember going to camp and I remember Garrett's dad 
making a big deal and encouraged me during the week. And he's here today, Rick, and I appreciate that. And Rick's family, his mom and dad, his wife, all those people in my life have spoken encouragement into me in times where I really needed it, and it made a huge difference. So John Ortberg, in this sermon towards the end, he talks about what are people going to say about you at your funeral? Now, I was at a funeral last Thursday, and I was listening to this. It was a... Um, my stepmom's brother passed away, and uh, it was a very encouraging funeral because he was a Christian. But the last four months, y'all, I think he had, um, I think he had four surgeries, and then he still died. Can you imagine going through all that the last four months of your life? But this is what somebody stood up and said: Every time he was in the hospital in the last four months, anybody that walked into his room, whether it was the cleaner, the person bringing food, or a doctor, he said. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Everybody, when he was suffering like that, he still asked that question until the day he died. I was like, wow. You know, what, a, what an impact he made. But John Ortberg says, what do you want people to say about you, funeral? So he kind of gives us a glimpse of what did Barnabas's funeral, what was it like? And this is what he said it would probably be like. He says, I think about what Barnabas's funeral must have been like. A man gets up to speak, and it's the Apostle Paul, and everybody goes, wow, that's Paul. They're all elbowing, that's Paul. That's Paul doing all that missionary work, wrote all those letters, and he gets up. He's famous, and he says, I persecuted the church. I put followers of Jesus to death in prison. Nobody trusted me. Nobody wanted to touch me. But then Barnabas came along, and he put his arm around me, and he says, I'll vouch for him, and I stand before you today because of Barnabas. And then he sits down, and then John Mark gets up, and everybody goes, there's John Mark. He wrote the gospel of Mark. He's famous. I wonder what he's going to say. And he wrote, and he, he gets up and he says this, The truth about me is I was a quitter. I quit and run away. I, I quit and ran away from Jesus and from that first missionary journey. I was a quitter, but Barnabas wouldn't give up on me. He saw something in me. I don't know why or what, but he took me under his wings and he says, I'll vouch for him, and I'm here today because of a man named Barnabas. And then he sits down and another man, and it's a man from Antioch, the church where... Uh, where Barnabas was for a whole year, and he says, I was a pagan, I was lost, I was so lost it wasn't even funny. Then I heard about Jesus and wanted in, but I didn't know the Torah. I didn't know all the Jewish traditions. I didn't seem to fit in. But then Barnabas came along, and he said that Jesus came for a guy just like me. And he put his arm around me, and he says, I'll vouch for him, and I'm here today because of Barnabas. And then he sits down. And Ortberg says, then this widow slowly shuffles her way to the podium. And everybody goes, who is that? She's not famous. What is she going to say? And this is what she says. I lost everything when my husband died. I had no income. I had young children. I didn't know how I was going to make it. And then Barnabas came along and he quietly sold his property so that I could live, have something to live on, so that I could feed my children. I'm here today because of Barnabas. Man, now obviously that's speculation, but... I have to believe that Barnabas and his funeral would be just like that because he made ripples that went out everywhere wherever he connected with people. And I don't know about you, but I sure hope along the way that I encourage people in my life as I have been encouraged. It can make all the difference, can it? All the difference in someone's life. And it can lead to someone having a converted life, a converted life by the encouragement of a Savior who says, I died for someone just like you, for your sin, for everybody's sin. And I resurrected to give you not just eternal life, but eternal relationship with me, God your Father. That's the kind of relationship we want to have 
with our Lord and Savior. Barnabas, because he had that, was able to be an encourager and to encourage people in that direction. So today we want to offer an opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here today. And hopefully you've heard some words of encouragement today. You understand that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for you and for me and for all of the world so that we could have a relationship with our Father again. So we're going to offer an invitation that if you need to make that step to name Him as your Lord and Savior, we offer that opportunity. Or maybe you're looking for a church home, and you know what? We are not a perfect church. We mess up. But we had a couple join in the first service this morning. And you know what they said as they sat in my office this week? They said, your people are almost too friendly. They just, like as soon as we came in the door, they were just all over us. And they made us get in Sunday school. And he was laughing as he said it. But he goes, no, seriously. He didn't say, your sermon brought me to the church. He didn't say, you brought me to the church. He goes, the people here just made us feel so welcome and encouraged us so much. That's why we're here now. And so they joined today. So you can, by your encouragement, make a difference. And I really believe that's the type of church we have and we strive to be. So if you got a decision morning, um, our team here is going to lead us. And I want us to stand. If you have a decision, you can walk forward. If not, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. If you're, uh, Yeah, you can go ahead and stand. If you are um, a guest here today... We take communion every Sunday. Uh, if that's something that you're comfortable with and you're a believer, we invite you to do that with us. You don't have to be a member of our church. So we're going to be led in a song. And if you have a decision to make, come forward. If not, we're just going to prepare our hearts for communion this time.